The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with stocks riding a four-session win streak with major averages hitting nearly two-year highs. Futures, they look in the green, looking to keep this rally going. Key for investors today will be the Fed's final, final policy decision of this year. Ahead of tomorrow's European quadruple threat, Morgan Stanley's global chief economist, Seth Carpenter, is here to weigh in. Also breaking this morning, a landmark decision from the COP28 summit in the Middle East, taking the first step in the move away from oil and gas. We have a live report in just a moment. Plus, a fresh SpaceX valuation boost and good news for the likes of Ron Barron and Kathy Wood. And then later in the show, taking on tech regulation, what Google, Motorola, Meta Platforms, and seven other tech companies are doing this morning. It is Wednesday, December the 13th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start the day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the major indices trading at fresh 52-week highs. Take a look. We're in the green this morning. Looks like the Dow would open up more than 40 points higher. Uh, the S&P and the Nasdaq both fractionally higher at this hour. So this action we're seeing ahead of today's final Fed decision of the year, with traders widely expecting the Fed to hold key rates steady, seeing little chance of a cut until at least March of next year. With that in mind, we are checking bond market yields. As always, we look at the, the benchmark tenure right now at 4.19%, uh, lowest level we've seen since about September of this year. Uh, the two-year and the long bond also lower in recent days. And following yesterday's slighter, slightly hotter than expected inflation read, we're looking at oil hitting its lowest level since late June. Take a look right now. WTI, the U.S. benchmark, trading at about 68.50 a barrel, slightly in the red this morning. Brent crude, the international benchmark, trading at $73 and about 15 cents or so, also fractionally in the red. Uh, natural gas right now, pretty much uh, lower right now, below $2 um, a BTU. That's, a, that's very meaningful for this. We're going to talk energy a little bit more broadly later in the show. All right, that's your morning money set up. Now let's see how Europe is shaping up as its trading day gets underway. Our Germana Bersetti, live in our London newsroom with much more in the early action. Germana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Good to see you. Well, European markets are all trading in the green this morning. We have the stock 600 close to a 22-month high. Continues to go from strength to strength. FTSE 100 in the UK in focus. We're up about four tenths of a percent this morning, despite the fact that UK GDP surprised to the downside, coming in at minus 0.3 percent for the month of October versus expectations of a flat reading. This follows on from the weaker than expected wage growth data yesterday, so certainly puts the pressure on the Bank of England tomorrow to perhaps begin to start sounding slightly more dovish. Over in you know, other European bourses, we have the Zetra DAX again, a focus of the market, another record high for the German index. 
breaching through that 16,800 number, 0.2% higher on the session today, and also reported the news that the German budget has been agreed on for 2024. That's a good driver for that market as well. Cacahuante in France up four tenths of a percent, and we are seeing somewhat of a rebound in luxury names this morning. As for European sectors, this is where the leadership is coming from. On the flip side, we've got food and beverage down about a tenth of a percent. Carrefour right at the bottom of that basket. Oil and gas cannot seem to get a bid these days, down four tenths of a percent, and telcos also dragging down one percent. On the flip side, we have chemicals up 1.5%. One name in particular we're focused on there is BASF. The German chemicals maker has been upgraded by UBS to a buy rating from neutral. So that has uh, led the entire complex higher. And then finally, the tech space continues to do quite well on back of the performance of U.S. stock markets too. Frank, I'll toss it back to you. Germana, thank you very much. And also, I want to correct myself. I said uh, earlier natural gas was under $2. It's actually at 230 a BTU. Germana Bersetti, live in our London newsroom. All right, turn our attention now back stateside. The S&P 500 is set to open at its highest level since November of 2022. Ahead of the open, more than 50 stocks in the index, worth about 10% of its value, trading at record all-time highs. That's the most since April of 2022, according to Dow Jones. Optimism over the direction of inflation and today's Fed decision helping to boost names like Allstate, Costco, D.R. Horton, and MasterCard. Let's talk more about whether this rally can continue with Linda Dussel, Senior equity strategist at Federated Hermes, a firm with more than $700 billion in assets under management. Linda, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Frank. So, Linda, as we just mentioned right now, we heard some names. Uh, MasterCard, D.R. Horton, outside of the tech space, hitting fresh record highs along with the NASDAQ at highest levels since we've seen since about January of last year. This broadening of the market, what does it say to you? How are you telling your clients to play it? Well, we've uh, we've. We thought we'd get 4,600 S&P this year, and of course we passed through that now. And that, as we know, is on the strength of just a handful of names. If this is going to carry on into next year and we'll reach our 5,000 figure for next year at Federated Hermes, we need that uh, that advance to broaden. And if that happens, it really is uh, it really is great news for uh, for the markets um, because so few uh, stocks really did pull the market up this year, lots of stocks are on sale. And so that's what's interesting in these last few trading sessions is that you've even seen some of the bigger names pull back while you've seen breadth advance into other sectors, as you have mentioned. And that's bullish. And and again, even around the world. So this is bullish going into the new year. All right. So you're saying that some stocks are on sale right now. Uh, I think we do also have to address the 800-pound gorilla in the room, the Fed, of course. Look at the CME, CME FedWatch tool. It shows more than a 40% chance of a cut in the March meeting in Q1 of next year. What are you expecting from the Fed today? How important is not only this decision, but the commentary from Jay Powell? Yeah, well, that's something that we really don't understand is why anyone should think that they'll cut that quickly because the economy is is strong. The unemployment rate is still very, very low. And so we're thinking maybe the first cut, which we do think they may do too next year, might not even be until July. And that would be okay because if the Fed sees that, you know, inflation is, is under control. And if, if Jerome Powell says today, um, evidence is that no more hikes, but longer, just emphasizing the longer, that is an indication that he still sees strength out there in our economy and our markets. And we do seem to be doing just fine and do seem to be seeing inflation come down ever so slowly, uh, in the, in advance of that. So we're thinking that it's a strong first half of next year as the market realizes you know what, we actually may get out of this alive and without reaching uh, the, the uh, recessionary part of the of the cycle. And, 
maybe get some of the 5,000 early on in the year next year. All right, Linda Dussel saying we could hit 5,000 next year. Uh, very optimistic. Thank you very much. Great to see you as always. Thank you. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. It is great to see our Savannah now with those. Savannah, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Well, some good news, bad news for Elon Musk. Let's start with the good. Bloomberg is reporting SpaceX is set to sell insider shares at $97 a piece in a tender offer. That's up from an earlier reported $95 last week. Now, the hiked price boosts the value of the company to nearly $180 billion and could be a boon for two major SpaceX shareholders, Kathy Wood and Ron Barron. And the bad the FCC reaffirming its 2022 decision to deny Starlink a nearly $900 million subsidy to provide wireless broadband to rural communities, saying it did not meet any basic program requirements. Apple says it will now require a judge's consent to give its customers push notification data to law enforcement. As Reuters points out, while the policy was not formally announced, it appeared on the tech giant's website in the past few days. The move, which is a similar practice done by Alphabet's Google, comes after Democratic Senator Ron Wyden revealed officials were requesting such data from the companies and that the practice allowed the two to carry out surveillance of how users are using particular apps. And Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo says the U.S. has a long way to go on business relations with China. Speaking with R. Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night, Raimondo adds she's determined to make progress on the matter. Getting harder to do business in China, not easier. But we're not going to let up. You know, Jim, as you know, I'm a dog on a bone. Like, U.S. business deserves an advocate. They deserve a fair shake. We're not asking for any special treatment. We just want a level playing field, and we're going to keep making the case. Hermando's comments come after a bipartisan congressional report called for severing more of the U.S.'s economic and financial ties with China, including removing low tariffs that the U.S. granted the country two decades ago, Frank. All right, Savannah, thank you very much. Yeah. All right, we have a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, a wild ride for oil following yesterday's hotter-than-expected November inflation read. Why Bank of America says the downside move is likely to reverse. Plus, breaking this morning, a landmark decision from the COP28 summit in the Middle East, taking the first step in the move away from oil and gas. A live report from that region next. Then later in the show, we check on the state of freight and the pulse of the American consumer with the CEO of logistics giant RxO. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, a developing story out the COP28 summit and member nations striking what many are calling a landmark deal on transitioning away from fossil fuels after days of tense negotiations. Dan Murphy joins us now from Dubai with the details. Dan, good morning. Frank, good morning to you. Well, the UAE's controversial COP28 delivering a world first after hours of intense talks. Not a phase down or a phase out, but a concrete call for countries to transition away from fossil fuels. Here's the text of the agreement that has the climate scientists and, yes, the oil and gas industry all talking this morning. Basically, it calls for a transition in a just, orderly and equitable manner. Words that all help to get big oil producing holdouts like Saudi Arabia across the line. The COP28 president, Dr. Sultan al-Jabba, saying COP28 has delivered. And you have to say he was under significant pressure to get a meaningful deal done. Listen in. It is a plan that is led by the science. It is a balanced plan that tackles emissions, bridges the gap on adaptation, reimagines global finance, and delivers on loss and damage. Dr. Sultan al-Jabba there. And when it comes to the reaction, the European Commission has already said this deal marks the beginning of the end for fossil fuels. But some might call that a little short-sighted, at least for now. Remember, oil and gas still plays an absolutely critical role in global energy security and supply, but it's fair to say this text is one step closer to reducing the role that it plays in our global energy system in the years to come. It also sets the framework, Frank, for the next COP28 climate conference, which is going to take place in Azerbaijan as soon as next year. So, Dan, again, a landmark deal when it comes to the transition away from oil and from gas. Um, Listening to his comments there, he, he really emphasized this is being led by science. I know at the beginning of this, there was a lot of criticism about the COP28 being held in an oil-producing nation. Does this deal, has this reduced some of the criticism and maybe some of the skepticism of working with oil-producing nations? Well, as usual, Frank, you're, you're on the money here. You're exactly right. This was highly controversial because it was always going to be this battle between what is scientifically necessary and what is politically feasible, right? But this is a significant step forward for climate. And the reaction so far would suggest that even large countries like the United States, the European Union countries as well, are getting on side. And remember, to just get lost in the nuances of the wording would also fail to see some of the other significant agreements that have happened on the sidelines of this COP28 conference, yes, in the UAE, a major oil-producing country. For one, uh, COP28 goes just beyond fossil fuels. We've seen billions in dollars, $85 billion, in fact, in new financial commitments from the public and private sector, as well as breakthrough deals on loss and damage, uh, and, of course, a commitment from the oil and gas industry to address really critical issues like methane. So, look, not everyone is going to be happy here, but this is a significant step in the right direction. Frank? Yeah, history in the making. Our Dan Murphy live in Dubai. Dan, great to see you. Thank you. All right, we're going to stick with energy now. Oil prices are falling again today after dropping more than 3% to six-month lows in yesterday's session. 
Crude has declined for seven straight weeks on lingering worries about oversupply and global demand, only adding to those concerns. Yesterday's CPI data prices edging up one-tenth of a percent in November after being unchanged in October. That's only fueling the view the Fed is unlikely to cut interest rates early next year, and that could weigh on fuel consumption. Let's discuss this further with Francisco Blanche, Global Head of Commodity and Derivatives Research at B of A Securities. Francisco, great to have you here. Good morning. Hey, Frank. Thanks for having me again in your program. All right, let's take a look at the oil action. Uh, oil more than 25% off of its year-to-date high, looking at WTI, um, that year-to-date high set back in November. Give us a sense right now, how much is the possible Fed decision weighing on the oil market? How much are those oversupply concerns? Um, look, I mean, there is, there is no, no doubt that uh, a number of factors have come to play to push oil prices lower. Um, uh, this year, remember, we've had, uh, I would say, uh, three big surprises. Um, when it comes to supply, we've had uh, first a lot more Russian oil than we anticipated in the first half of the year uh, because of relatively lax sanctions on uh, Russian exports. Uh, the second thing we had is is uh, way more U.S. supply than we ever anticipated. Uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, COP28 being held in, in the UAE, but remember, the world's largest oil and gas producer uh, is actually the United States of America. Um, it, it, the U.S. is also the largest exporter of petroleum products and uh, soon to be the largest exporter of natural gas in the world. So so it's, um, so it's so really, U.S. supply has, has surprised to the upside. Uh, shale, despite the falling rig count, has actually delivered a lot more than... than uh, I think anyone expected at the beginning of the year. And then the third leg of this uh, surprise in terms of, of, of supply has been the fact that OPEC uh, plus failed to deliver a coordinated, uh, cohesive agreement at okay. their last meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago. All right. So, Francisco, you're actually very, despite all these these issues that you're just laying out for us very clearly, you're actually pretty bullish on the oil market. Your forecast is for a pretty broad rally when it comes to oil next year. 90 bucks a barrel for Brent, the international benchmark. 86 for WTI, just to put that in context, looking at WTI right now, trading at about 68.40 a barrel. What's the catalyst for this rise in oil? And when do you see it reaching these prices? Because we've kind of had an up and down year when it comes to oil this year. Um, uh, sure, no, no doubt about it. I, mean, I think I think the first thing to consider is that uh, despite all the supply coming through, and, and we likely have some more supply coming through next year, um, from from places like Guyana and, uh, and Brazil, um, we also uh, have to consider that geopolitics are, are at, a, at a, a crucial inflection point here. We've seen um, uh, certainly uh, attacks on oil vessels in uh, the Red Sea uh, performed by the uh, Houthi militia in, 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 in Yemen. Uh, we've seen also uh, tensions rising on the Guyana border with Venezuela, right, with okay. uh, a referendum taking place. And, I, you know, I wonder as we go into into next year, all these geopolitics, uh, will they come together? And, and of course, let's not forget uh, the U.S. Uh, has not enforced sanctions on Iran, which are still in place. Okay. Uh, and remember, Iran is, is also uh, being able to to increase its exports quite a bit here. So, so a lot so of geopolitical those, factors yeah. in general is, is what's in, making you a bit more bullish on the oil market and uh, possibly a catalyst for this rise that you're forecasting. Again, Brent at 90 bucks a barrel and WTI 86. I do want to ask you about there, one of the... Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. I want to ask you about one other thing. Natural gas, before we let you go, we got to make this quick. Um, prices this right. year have really collapsed. Uh, natural gas at about 230 per BTU, basically right. half of where it started the year. What's your forecast for natural gas? Uh, where do you see it going in 2024? 
So we've been quite bearish on, on U.S. nap gas uh, simply because we thought there was no, uh, there was way too much supply, right? I mean, supply growth rates have been phenomenal. We have 105 PCF a day of supply right now in the U.S., um, and we expected that number to be reached uh, in the fourth quarter of next year. I mean, that's how fast U.S. shale supply has grown. Uh, we've we've rolled forward a, a year, and and uh, we've we've started the winter relatively warm. So so um, th- at this point, there is not much uh, else okay. to save natural gas other than production cuts. Uh, so we have to head lower uh, and reduce output in in across across the U.S. of A. until we get enough LNG export capacity sendouts uh, ready again. So. Francisco Blanche of B of A, bullish Thank on you. oil in 2024. Uh, forecast, 90 bucks a barrel for Brent crude. Great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, taking on tech regulation, what Google, Qualcomm, Meta Platforms, and seven other tech companies are doing this morning to get a leg up on the coming crackdown. Stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Market flash for you now. We're watching shares at Tesla. You can see they're down more than 1%. This follows the company saying that more than 2 million vehicles need a software update to fix a defective autopilot driver monitoring system. Again, shares of Tesla down more than 1% on news that the company needs to update, uh, send an update to its uh, driver autopilot feature. We'll continue to watch this story throughout the morning. All right, new this morning. Google, Meta Platforms, Qualcomm, and seven other international tech companies, they're teaming up for, to form what they are calling the Coalition for Open Digital Ecosystems, or CODE. They're looking to promote more open platforms and boost innovation across Europe. This is EU regulators. They're preparing to implement sweeping new rules and regulations around technology companies with the Digital Markets Act. Joining me now with much more is Stan LaRouc, CEO of Paraspace Air Developer Lynx, the private company's one of the partners in this new coalition. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. All right. So, Stan, you're quoted in an article that came out this morning saying, in part, that members of Code, you've had some conversations about what good looks like when it comes to digital ecosystems. What is the good? What's the consensus you've come to? I think I think the good is the, the choice of for the consumer in the end, and uh, you know having open ecosystems that are interoperable for messaging for everything around our ecosystem and digital lives is better, and we have more choice uh, right now. It's very hard for a consumer to change from one mobile ecosystem to the other, and that group is uh, part of the discussion and part of the the answer to change that in the future with a legislator of the European Commission. All right. So I want to kind of dig into this for a minute. So the DMA mandates, the Digital Markets Markets Act, the gatekeepers, these are tech giants that control access to their platform. They allow third parties to do what they call interoperate. How would this potentially impact your business? And just for clarity, are you the third party or are you the gatekeeper in this situation? So in that in that situation, I'm not a gatekeeper. In the coalition, we have gatekeepers and non-gatekeepers. My company is manufacturing uh, headsets like the one you have behind you. We make a VR and AR headset. Um, but the, the goal of all that uh, with the DMA is to make sure that we all have the, the choice. So to answer your question, uh, in, that, in, in that capacity, the, the interoperability is about having something that can be used between iMessage and Android phones, for example. 
and in my in my industry is to have 3D walls that can be interoperable between the future Apple headset or the headset that we are manufacturing here in Paris. All right, so you would benefit from this interop- interoperability and also be able to be on these platforms, but also trans- transact a lot of your business off one of these platforms. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I got to ask you, what is the end game? Because as you mentioned, you're partnered with some of the gatekeepers, a lot of tech giants, and there's other smaller companies like yours. What's the overall goal and what's the benefit for your business? And then what's the benefit for the consumer? Well, first, the goal is to have an informed discussion and debate around the DMA with the European Union legislator and the community at large. And then for businesses, I think it's good. Uh, It's a very good opportunity to uh, develop interoperability so smaller company can leverage bigger ecosystems and have consumer jump to other ecosystem more easily. So you can see more giants, new giants emerging from Europe, from Asia or from the US that are not the always the same companies that we are used to deal with. And okay. uh, for the consumer in the end, uh, I think choice is, is you know, uh, best for everyone. It brings competition, it lowers the cost, it brings more research and development. So I, I think this is a really good opportunity that we have here to have this new alliance with okay. those giants and smaller companies. All right, Stan LaRoque, CEO of Lynx, thank you for your time and some of the explanation. Appreciate it. All right, coming thank up here on much. Worldwide Exchange, we're getting set for the Fed's final policy decision of this year ahead of tomorrow's European quadruple threat. Morgan Stanley Chief Global Economist Seth Carpenter is here to weigh in. Plus, we check the state of freight and the pulse of the American consumer with the CEO of logistics giant RxO. We're going to be right back after this break. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. It is decision day for the Federal Reserve. The central bank preparing to hand down its final rate decision of 2023. Investors continue searching for potential clues about rate cuts. Ahead of that decision, stocks, they're riding a four-day win streak with the Dow and the S&P hovering at their highest levels in nearly two years. Futures are pointing to more gains ahead. And with just under two weeks to go until Christmas, we're going to get a check on the state of freight with the CEO of RxO and his insights on how the critical holiday season is shaping up. It's Wednesday, December the 13th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. As always, going to get you ready to start your day. We're going to pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures ahead of today's Federal Reserve policy decision. Take a look right now. We are seeing the futures in the green. The Dow actually a bit off of its highs of earlier, but looks like we'd open up about 40 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq both fractionally higher in the pre-market. We also want to look at energy, specifically oil, following yesterday's more than 3.5% pullback. Take a look right now. WTI, the U.S. benchmark, slightly in the red, basically flat, but trading at about 68.60 a barrel. Brent crude, the international benchmark, at basically 73.20 a barrel, also fractionally lower, basically flat. Similar story there. Okay, that's your morning money set up. Now we want to turn our attention to our top story. That's the Federal Reserve set to release its final policy decision of the year at 2 p.m. Eastern time today on the back of yesterday's slightly hotter than expected inflation report. According to the CME, interest rate traders, they're all but certain the central bank will keep rates unchanged. They also see little chance of any cuts until at least March of next year. But the Fed is not the only game in town. With today's event proceeding, what many are calling Super Thursday and rate decisions from four other major central banks. That's tomorrow, including the Bank of England and the European Central Bank. 
Joining me now is Seth Carpenter, Morgan Stanley Global Chief Economist. Seth, good morning. It is so great to have you here. Hey, Frank. It's great to see you. All right, Seth, you are a Fed insider, former deputy director. Give us a sense. What are you expecting from today, not only from the decision, which most people think will leave rates unchanged, but maybe more importantly, the uh, press conference and the, the statement? What are you expecting from that? Well, you've, you've nailed the, the right issues here. And in fact, at the top of the segment, you were saying that investors are looking for clues as to when the Fed might cut. And I think that fact is part of where Chair Powell and his colleagues need to be super careful in what they communicate and how they communicate, because the market really is looking for any signal that says cuts are coming sooner than they might be priced. So we, like the market, don't think there's going to be a, a policy rate move today. Our baseline, in fact, is that the Fed doesn't cut rates until June. And so to get there, the market would have to reprice some. Uh, And so part of what I think Powell's strategy probably is going to be is to try to say, look, uh, we didn't hike rates today. Inflation is coming down, but it is not at our target. It is not anywhere near our target. And in fact, if anything, uh, we need a little bit more conviction that it's going to come down to our target. So to try to push back a little bit on all those expectations that a a rate cut is imminent. I don't think he wants to be overly explicit. I don't think he wants to talk specifically about dates because that would be more precision than he actually has. And so I think he wants to strike that confident tone, the slightly hawkish lean that they're committed to 2%, but then not get into any more details beyond that. All right. So they don't want to get into any more detail. Um, Also, we're seeing a kind of a changing conviction, at least from the market the belief that we're going to see a lot of cuts next year. You pointed it out in your research. Uh, the market definitely rethinking their view of the cuts. Now seeing a Fed funds rate of 4.3%-ish by the end of 2024. That's a bit higher than previous, which was about just over 4%. What's leading to this change in thought? I mean, this is one of the tricky parts for markets. Markets always want to take the most recent data and then extrapolate to try to get ahead of the curve. And so we've seen over the past several months, lots of swings in terms of how the market is looking at the Fed, how the market is looking at other central banks and how the market is looking at longer term interest rates. Um, I think the inflation data have been a big driver here. Uh, yesterday's print was very much in line with our expectations for a bit of a bounce off the bottom from the previous month's data. And so that kind of ping-ponging that we see with the data, it's never going to be as smooth in reality as as forecasters would like. I think those sorts of ups and downs with the data are are what are driving markets back and forth. All right. So we also hit on something else when we introed you, Seth. Uh, Tomorrow, some people calling it Super Thursday, a bunch of other (laughs) rate decisions does the Fed, do they, do they keep that in mind as they make their decisions? Is that something that they're looking at, just the global environment when it comes to central banks? So, you know, my experience there at the Fed and then all of my conversations with central bankers around the world, everyone is aware of what's going on in other places and other central banks in particular that have to worry about where their exchange rate is, pay a lot of attention, for example, to what the Fed is doing. But there's no outright coordination or anything like that. And from the Fed's perspective, They have a clear mandate. They're looking at the U.S. economy. For the ECB, they have a clear mandate. They're looking at the euro area economy, especially inflation. And so they're aware of what's going on. But I don't really think any of that's going to make a huge difference in their decisions. Uh, For the ECB, for example, though, we think they, like the Fed, are on hold for the foreseeable future. They're going to need to see inflation continue to come down. And we see the ECB cutting in June 
uh, coincidentally, the same time as the Fed. All right, Seth, I know we have you pulling on a lot of different threads. You've let us down some different paths, but I, I just want to button things up right here. Um, again, you said you're not forecasting any cuts until June of next year. But what are you expecting from this press conference, from the statement, from the dot plot? Are we going to see a slightly more dovish Fed in your mind or do you think they just stay the course? Uh, so I think I think there's going to be a lot that people are going to be able to pick. And it's going to be a little bit like a Rorschach test. Whatever you already had in your brain, you'll be able to see it reflected in what the Fed writes down. So when it comes to their own projections, for example, they're going to have to adjust down their forecast for inflation for this year. They've just been sort of overly pessimistic about how high inflation would be. And they're just going to have to correct that based on the data that have come in. I suspect okay. some of that feeds through into their inflation forecast for next year. And so that's going to feel a little bit on the dovish side of things. Uh, similarly, the last time they did a dot plot, they had one more hike. Uh, in their dot plot for this year than is going to get realized. And so that's going to have to come down. So that's going to okay. feel dovish. On the other hand, the unemployment rate is still low. They're going to have to acknowledge that it's low. Yeah. GDP growth is strong. Absolutely. Seth Carpenter saying that today's statement and press conference, probably like a Rorschach test. I'm going to have to see what I think about it. I guess we all have to decide. Yeah. Seth, always great to see you. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. Seth Carpenter, great to have you here. My pleasure. All right, time now for your big money movers. We're going to start off with ASML and Samsung announcing plans to spend $760 million on a chip development facility in South Korea. That move expands ASML's footprint in South Korea, where it already has four sites for customers like Samsung, as it steers away from tensions between the U.S. and China. Shares of CalMain looking to extend yesterday's losses. This after the egg producer said it detected avian flu at one of its Kansas facilities, impacting around 684,000 laying hens, worth about 1.6% of the company's total flock. Calmain says it's working to secure production at other facilities in order to minimize disruptions to customers, adding the detections do not present any immediate public health concern or threat to the food supply. And the U.S. bankruptcy court approving XPO's bid to buy 28 service centers from trucking company Yellow's bankruptcy. XBO says the deal includes locations in Brooklyn, Atlanta, Nashville, Houston, and Las Vegas, and is expected to close by the end of this year. Let's stick with freight and what signals the industry is sending about consumer spending, economic growth, and the outlook for inflation. Joining me now, Drew Wilkerson, CEO of RxO, the spinoff of XPO and provider of truck brokerage services. Drew, good morning. It's great to have you here in the studio. Good to see you. Great to be here, Frank. Good morning. So let's just jump right into it. What are you seeing? You have so many big publicly traded customers that use your services um, for, for digital freight brokerage. What are you hearing from them as we approach uh, the Christmas time the, and just in general or in the holiday gift giving season? Well, first, we're still in a soft freight environment. And we have been for some time. If you look at this downturn, typically a downturn will last four or five, maybe even six quarters. We're now coming up on seven, eight quarters uh, of the downturn. And as we said on our last earnings call, we were expecting a muted peak season, but with some pockets from some different customers that could have a potential for some peak season. So it's what, that's exactly how this peak season has played out for us thus far. It's been mostly muted with a couple of pockets from a few customers. Understood. So you and I have talked about this at length before. Um, interest rates, as they begin to ease, are you hearing something from your customers? Because the higher the interest rate, the higher the cost to carry their inventory that you're helping them move. Is that changing people's uh, or companies' inventory thoughts or policy? Inventory levels have actually been in a good position really? for some time now. And, you know, if you go back to a year ago, all the conversations that I was having with customers were about destocking their inventory. 
This year, they've actually been at a good position. It really comes down to what is the end consumer going to do and what are they going to spend their dollars on? All right. So your last uh, report, your full truckload brokerage, that's when a company wants a whole entire truck. That was up 13 percent year over year. You're less than truckload. That's when several companies put something in a truck. I just want to explain it for the audience. I know you know, of course. Um, That was up 55% year to year. What does that tell us just in general that you're seeing a bigger increase in companies just wanting of a piece of a truck as opposed to filling up a whole truck? Well, that's not really the way that we look at it. LTL overall is a smaller piece of our business. Our business is still driven by full truckload business is what we built the business on. Um, so when you look at what we're hearing from end consumers, they're coming to us to use LTL because they've seen our service on truckload. And they're coming to us and saying, hey, can you take this piece of our business, our LTL, and we're going to outsource it to you. And we're really seeing it from large mm. customers on, on the LTL side. So very proud of that growth, especially right now. If you look at what is going on in the overall for hire trucking market, freight volumes are down on a year over year basis. So we're extremely proud of the 13 percent growth in full truckload and more than 50% growth in LTL. All right, so I gotta ask you, because we have to ask everybody about this. How are you using AI and how is it working in the transportation business? So much the transportation business is still, you know, pen and paper like this. People writing things down, picking up the phone, taking notes and handing someone else a piece of paper. So how's AI working in your business? Well, you described how it was whenever I started in the industry <laughs> with pen and paper, but that's not, that's not really how it is for us. And we've been using AI for over a decade. And it's some of the reasons why we've got the best margins in the industry. If you look at what we've done, we've taken thousands and thousands of bids from our customers, and we know exactly what to price to our customer as well as to the carrier. And that allows us to operate with some of the best margins in the industry right now. Last question. I actually talked to you. I was in Mexico last week doing a store, story about reshoring, nearshoring, whichever one you call it. I think Jenny Yellen calls it friendshoring. You were nice enough to talk to us about it. Give us a sense. We're looking at 2024. What kind of impact is nearshoring going to have on the U.S. economy? Yeah, nearshoring has been a growing piece of our business. If you look at our cross-border freight, it's up by more than 30 percent year over year so far. So, and that's a trend that we expect to continue. We built that business off of automotive customers, but going forward, we're seeing a lot from industrial, from manufacturing, even from spirit customers. So, there's a lot of opportunity, and we think over the next several years. It is a huge opportunity for RxO. All right, Drew, you mentioned some of that tequila and mezcal you were moving. You seem pretty excited about that. Drew, thank you for being here. Always great to see you. Thanks for being here in studio. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, some fresh magic for Disney and a bullish call out this morning on the company's stock, your Wednesday morning call sheet. That's coming up next. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We're going to start with Morgan Stanley raising its price target on Disney, bumping it up to 135 per share. It says it sees a positive risk-reward skew in the stock and believes this experience segment, which includes theme parks, is underappreciated in shares. Looking at this shares of Disney this morning, they're up fractionally. KBW upgrading DR Horton's rating to outperform. It cites in part positive earnings from the home builder and a track record of delivering value to shareholders via stock buyback. Shares of DR Horton up a half a percent in the pre-market, and Bank of America raising its price target on Broadcom to $12.50 per share, citing acceleration in both its semiconductor and software offering. Shares of Broadcom basically flat in the pre-market. Time now for your global briefing. We begin with the U.K. economy shrinking more than expected in October as lower manufacturing output, construction activity, and slowing wage growth, they all contribute to that weak figure. Attention now turning squarely to the Bank of England tomorrow and whether it plans to bring interest rates down from their 15-year high. 
In Argentina, new government leadership laying out surprise plans to address the country's worst economic crisis in decades, including currency devaluation and spending cuts. The country's economy minister says the peso will be weakened to around $800 uh, per 800 to around 800 per U.S. dollar from 367 per U.S. dollar. Discretionary transfers to provinces will also be minimized and public work tenders will be halted. And shares of Zara owner Inditex under pressure in overseas trade after sales for its most recent quarter that grew slower than analysts expected. The company says sales grew by 6.6 percent in the three months ending in October, less than the double-digit sales growth from previous reports. Despite this, the retailer says brands like Bershka and Massimo Dutti are being very well received and is seeing growth in stores and online. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, where our next guest says he's looking beyond the Magnificent Seven for opportunities within tech and underperforming sector players that are high on his radar. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange will be back right after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We start with the COP28 summit in Dubai wrapping up with nearly 200 countries, striking a deal calling for a transition away from fossil fuels. The deal leaves it up to individual governments to decide whether and how quickly to cut reliance on oil, natural gas, and coal. Alphabet, Google, Meta, Qualcomm, and seven other tech companies announcing they're teaming up to push for open digital ecosystems in Europe. The union coming in response to new EU regulations and aims to boost growth and innovation in that region. Bloomberg is reporting SpaceX is set to sell insider shares at $97 a piece in a tender offer up from an earlier reported $95 a share last week. The hiked price boosts the value of the company to nearly $180 billion. We're also watching shares at Tesla this morning, the company recalling more than 2 million vehicles across its model lineup to fix a defective system that's supposed to ensure drivers are paying attention when they use autopilot. Shares of Tesla down more than 1% in the pre-market. The company also announcing some of its Model 3s will lose up to $7,500 in tax credits at the end of this year. And Apple now saying it will require a judge's consent to give its customers push notification data to law enforcement. The move coming after Democratic Senator Ron Wyden revealed practices by Apple and Google around user data uh, allowed them to, as he calls, carry out surveillance. All right, here's what to watch today. We get the latest look at inflation with the November producer price index ahead of the open. We also get results from Adobe today. And as we've been talking all morning, we get the Federal Reserve's latest rate decision at 2 p.m. Eastern, followed by Chairman Jay Powell's press conference at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to catch a CNBC exclusive interview with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on Squawk on the Street at 10.30 a.m. Eastern today. All right, ahead of all that, let's get a check on how the trading day is shaping up. Take a look at futures right now. They've been in the green all morning long. Um, still seeing them there. The Dow looks like we'd open up more than 40 points higher. The Nasdaq and the S&P fractionally higher. For more, let's bring in Kevin Simpson, founder and chief investment officer at Capital Wealth Planning. Kevin, good morning. It's always great to see you. Hey, Frank. How are you? All right. I just want to kind of get your sense of what you're thinking about for today. Give us your Wex word of the day again ahead of that big Fed decision later. Well, I mean, all eyes are going to be on Chairman Powell, mostly in the post-game presser and looking at the dot plots. But my word of the day, Frank, is delusional. And I, and I look at this from a different lens. And, and as we're thinking about the Fed's decision and the next steps, it just seems unrealistic to me that they can be aggressively cutting rates at the beginning of next year. And there's a lot of market watchers and Fed watchers that are pricing in a heck of a lot of rate cuts. 
And if we listen to Chairman Powell, and I think we have to because he's been very consistent for the past two years about being data dependent, that we're just not going to be in a position in the early part of next year for the Fed to come out and, and start cutting rates, because I just don't see the inflation target of 2% being realized over the next month or two. Now, I do think they can cut rates next year. I think we'll see okay. that in the dot plots. I'm not bringing a bearish uh, tone to the show at all, but I think it's a little bit premature to expect a whole bunch of rate cuts in the beginning of 2024. All right, a bit premature. We actually just had uh, Morgan Stanley's global chief economist on. He's forecasting a rate cut in June. So is that too soon still in your mind? <clears throat> I mean, we'll have to see. Inflation has certainly been coming down and the trend is, is nice. And this is what a soft landing feels like. It's been heading in the right direction. And, and I think that they're serious when they say they'll be data dependent. Seth also brought up the unemployment number, which is part of the dual mandate. And I think that he was right there also that the Fed may want to see a little bit more balance in the labor market. But the nice thing about this soft landing is the labor market and the resiliency, because if the consumer can find work, then they can spend. And, and we know that the whole U.S. economy is on the shoulders of the U.S. consumer. So, so far, so good. I mean, we're still okay. very optimistic about the second half of the year. To your point, June, or at least the latter part of 2024, I, ex I expect some rate cuts. And that, that we'll probably see that reflected in the dot plots, Frank, because okay. in September they showed two rate cuts. I expect that they'll do the same today. All right, so you're kind of in line with Morgan Stanley. But just in general, I want to get a sense. What are your thoughts about the market right now? We've been talking all morning long. Um, a lot of stocks hitting fresh all-time highs. The Nasdaq at highs we haven't seen since January of last year, along with the S&P. Uh, also in multi-month highs right now. What do you think of all this euphoria in the market? I know you said delusional is your word, but can any of this rally continue if we don't get this, a somewhat dovish home? Uh, you might see a little bit of a, a disappointment, but I think a lot of the enthusiasm that we're seeing is really just a broadening out of a market that hasn't moved in two years. That, and that's a good thing. And I think that will continue in 24 and into 25. So the delusion, I think, is more just reflective of a lot of rate cuts early on. All right, Kevin, not I want to get to your... Not a symptom of the market. Don't want to cut you off. I do want to get to your pick very quickly because we're running out of time. One of them is IBM. Give us a sense. Why are you buying IBM right now? You know, we're old school. We love dividends. We love dividend growth. IBM is some, a company that by their own admission, I think, is a little late to the AI party. But Red Hat is really profiting from AI. So if you're looking to expand out, IBM is a cash flow machine. They pay over a 4% dividend. If we're looking at multiples, forward multiples, only about 17. So I think there's a lot of value there. And most importantly, Frank, the stock's been in range bound really for maybe three or four years. And it's starting to break out. So I think IBM could be a, a surprise winner in the AI trade over the next couple of years. You're also adding to your position of CME. Yeah, this is a really fun story. It's more of a growth story than IBM. I mean, they've had nine quarters of really strong growth, 9% okay. revenue, 10% on earnings. But it's really a dividend story. Got it. And they just... Kev, sorry. They just declared a $5.25 special dividend. So Got we're it. excited about that. Got to leave it there. All about the dividends. Kevin Simpson, thank you very much. All right. We're going to have to leave it there ourselves. Squawk Box is coming up next. Thank you for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. You might not think that a few simple words could make you crave McDonald's breakfast sandwiches. But if you listen closely to the sound of me saying McGriddles, McMuffin, you might be wrong. Ba -ba -ba -ba.